Hello, and welcome to the March 7, 2023 episode of The Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. This is Craig W. Hurst, Emeritus Professor of Music, podcasting from my music bunker, along with my faithful canine companion, Carball the Wonder Dog, to share with you my latest musical interests and discoveries. I claim no special inside information about the latest or greatest music, nor do I know everything there is to know about music. What I am is a lover of music. I enjoy several genres of music and I share with you what has currently caught my interest, old, new, outdated, and everything in between. Even old music is brand new if you have never heard it before. The universe of music is a vast one to enjoy. From my discussions, you might find something new to you and of interest to expand your own musical universe. I currently receive no compensation or motivation other than my own of any kind from any recording label recording artist, or the estate of any performer or composer, dead and gone, to discuss their music and or their recordings. Now with that out of the way, welcome to my musical universe. My guest today is country singer-songwriter Rachel McIntyre-Smith. With her lyrically driven songs, Rachel McIntyre Smith's comfort twang music reminds listeners of the classics while also adding a relevant and fresh perspective. Three Chords Country writes that her flair for storytelling and her killer voice set her head and shoulders above the rest. Raised in the small East Tennessee town of Oliver Springs, Rachel began intensive piano training at nine years old. She won the Tennessee State Piano Competition twice and earned the Paderewski Medal for Guild for 10 years of superior ratings in a row. This strong background of music theory allowed Rachel to excel in other areas of music. She taught herself ukulele and guitar, and also served as clarinet section leader in her school band. Although she always dreamed of being a singer, her bashfulness kept her from singing in public until she was a junior in high school. She made her debut singing Please, Mr. Postman in the high school theater arts production of DuckTales and Bobby Socks. From a very young age, her mother, an English teacher, encouraged Rachel to write. She recalls, I was fascinated with rhyming and pretended to not understand it, so my mom would keep explaining it to me. Rachel won several awards for her poetry and even won a scholarship to college for one of her short stories. As Rachel progressed in music, she started combining her two passions of music and writing. She went on to study communications and Spanish at the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. There she learned web design, 
graphic design, social media marketing, videography, and other skills needed in order to succeed in a world where all musicians have to double as content creators. It was there that she first heard the album Pageant Material by Casey Musgraves, which opened her eyes to the world of country music. I felt like I suddenly understood the direction my life would take, she says. She fell in love with Musgraves' lyrical ability to turn a phrase, make jokes, and tell stories. This gave Rachel a foundation to start finding her own voice in songwriting. Some of her first original songs were The Kitten Song, an ode to a rescued kitten, and Miss Highfalutin, a cheeky song poking fun at condescending people. Upon graduating from college, she compiled 13 demos of her original music and began sending them to venues. Due to the quirky subject matter of the kitten song, she became a regular performer at cat cafes. It's like playing a cozy house show with 30 or so cats, comments Rachel. It's amazing. In early 2020, she launched a concert tour of those feline-friendly venues. Rachel began working with producer Dran Michael in the fall of 2020. Since the beginning of their partnership, Rachel has released several singles and released her debut EP, Glory Days, in the fall of 2022. After the title track, Glory Days, went viral on TikTok, Rachel saw her audience double in a matter of days. People compared her songwriting to the stylings of country music legends, including Dolly Parton, Brandi Carlisle, and Linda Ronstadt. One commentator even said, discovering artists like you is the only reason I still have TikTok. Though a combination of fan-embraced hit song and Rachel's social media marketing skills, she has garnered over 400,000 impressions of her latest single. Glory Days explores the uncertainty nostalgia and regret that comes along with becoming an adult and letting go of your childhood. Rachel says, at the start of the pandemic, I moved back in with my parents. I saw all the people I had grown up with getting married and having kids. Meanwhile, I was sleeping in the same twin bed I had slept in for the first 18 years of my life. I got lost in a feeling that I started calling the woods. Would I have been happier if I'd chosen a different path? Would I be better off if I'd stayed in that relationship? In the process, I felt so many different emotions. I poured them all into this six-track EP. With some poignant and some hilarious lyrics, Rachel pulls listeners into her headspace as she attempts to move into the next chapter of her life. Dran Michael's impressive production skills set the scene with banjo, mandolin, three-part harmony, and steel guitar. Her brightly colored style, smooth vocals, and small-town charm leave a lasting impact on audiences. Today's Country Magazine states she has absolutely been turning heads with her incredibly witty lyrics and vintage vibe. Rachel's had the privilege to share the stage with some impressive, some impressive names in country music, including Leroy Parnell, 
Larry Fleet, Paul Thorne, and Caleb Lee Hutchinson. It is my pleasure to welcome to my musical universe, Rachel McIntyre Smith. Hello, Rachel. Hi, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. It's uh, really great uh, to talk with you and very happy to have you as a guest on my podcast today and uh, looking forward to uh, hearing uh, all about you and uh, and uh, giving my audience a good uh, thumbnail sketch about your music and, and, uh, and about you. Absolutely. Well, I'm really excited to talk with you. Well, anyway, let's get right to it. Uh, okay. At the end of September, you released a six-song extended play entitled Glory Days. And, uh, you know, I sometimes, when I saw that title, I thought, okay, that's probably going to refer to uh, high school years or college years, because those are kind of our glory days. At least they are for some people. And I, and then after listening to the songs, they very much have kind of an orientation toward looking back to high school and maybe your later teenage years and, and asking kind of those fundamental questions of where have I been, where am I going, and did I make the right choices? Now I have to I have to share with you before you respond that I'm coming up on my 50th high school reunion this year. Wow. Yeah, I know it's hard to believe I'm, you know, I'm I've made it that long uh and uh yeah, cuz I graduated from high school in 1973. And wow. uh and it's it's interesting because the committee that's organizing the reunion is put together a Facebook page to communicate, you know, dates and times and all the various choices kind of using some technology. But one of the things they've also done is, is they've posted any of our classmates who are deceased. So um, I guess if there's any victory at all in being older, it is that you're, a, I'm a survivor, but I oh will tell goodness. you, <laughs> I will tell you, well, I mean, you know, I've made it this far because I've done something right, you know, uh, I don't, anyway, uh, but those kinds of questions is, it's interesting. I'm still asking myself those kinds of questions as I, uh, kind of, you know, look at what others have posted on Facebook and, and, uh, you know, and, and how some of them have revealed various challenges that they've experienced, uh, whether it's, uh, death of a spouse or death of a child or, or a battle with alcoholism or those kinds of things. And so, you know, asking those questions, where have I been, where am I going? And I, did I make the right choices are something I think you're going to be stuck with for quite a while, but, but anyway, you're much younger than I am, and you're much closer to that kind of thing. So would you talk about each of the songs and their inspiration and, and kind of the top topical aspects of the <laughs> songs on your EP, Glory Days? Yeah. Well, first, I would just like to say that I think that it's really natural for us to sort of compare ourselves with the people we went to school with, um, because for at least I went to the same school whenever I was in kindergarten all the way through I graduated high school. And so for the majority of my growing up years, I was comparing myself, you know, who got the best grade in this, who, you know, 
who made the team, who didn't, and those sorts of things. And so it's sort of like, I think it's natural to sort of use those people as like a measuring stick to where you've gotten in your life. Um, but I'm I'm trying to break away from doing that. But I think a lot of people over the course of the past few years, um, because of the pandemic, have really had a lot of time to sit in silence, be by themselves and ask themselves, what has led me to this point? And am I happy with what has happened so far? What do I need to change in order to find happiness along the way? And um also a lot of people at home trying to clear out stuff. Um, and that's what I uh, that's what I did during the pandemic. I ended up going through a whole bunch of photo albums and all these nostalgic things that made me look back on the days where I was in high school, I was in college, and made me think like, were those the best times? And I was writing this all from the perspective of still being in the height of the pandemic. And so, of course, looking back, you know, a few years um, seemed a whole lot better than being stuck at home, not being able to go see anyone, do anything. Um, and so that was really the main perspective that I wrote from for this whole album. Um, so sort of going through song by song, um, Glory Days is the first track on the EP. It's the title track. And it's sort of like the introduction to the whole project and it's me realizing that my life was on a different path than a lot of people that I grew up with um and so a lot of the people I I said they were sort of my measuring stick of how far I had come I realized that we were using two different measuring sticks they were on a completely different thing um and sort of coming to terms with you know is it okay that I'm doing this and that mm -hmm. they're doing this and um, so that's that's what Glory Days is about. Um, Queen of Our Hometown is the second song. And it's really about going back to the place where the people love you the most. It's not necessarily about being like this queen or the person that's on the throne that's better than everyone in the hometown. But I grew up in a really small town mm -hmm. and um, small towns have a way of making everyone feel special and they people remember your name they remember you know who your family is they remember you know for better or for worse they remember stories from your growing up <laughs> embarrassing ones good ones and um so that's what queen of our hometown is about is about going back to the place where people make you feel like you're the queen even though you realize you're not um and track three the woods um is about having all these questions that you're never going to have answers to. I was, I had all these questions like, would I be better off if I had done this? Would I be happier if I had done this? And I realized that I was just spending all of my time being caught up in these questions. And so I wasn't really living in the present moment. I was living in the woods, the what if, the path mm -hmm. I didn't take. Um, and then the next track, First Love, is sort of the musical version of me going through my closet at home of finding this shoebox that I kept that had a dried corsage from my high school prom and sort of looking back at my old journal entries and kind of in a weird way like seeing this whole relationship from a different perspective sort of like an outside perspective and what I know now and what I knew then um and then the next track, Miss Highfalutin, is um, 
a very sassy, <laughs> funny sort of track um, about people who sort of, you know, leave somewhere and then they start making fun of it, even though it's part of their, you know, who mm-hmm. they are as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad always says it takes a dirty bird to mess in its own nest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, that's sort of what the song's about. Um, and then the final track on the project is called High School Reunion. And it's about realizing that life isn't what you thought it was going to be. Um, you haven't gotten where you thought you were going to be at this point, but everyone's in the same boat. Like everyone had these huge things that they thought they were going to be able to do. And then life sort of has a way of putting you in your place. Um, but realizing that, you know, everyone thought that way when they were in school and then everyone realized like, oh, it takes a lot of money to pursue your dreams and get what you thought you wanted and everything. Um, and so it's sort of like, um, it's not like life isn't great, but we're in this together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the last track on the EP. Well, I think that uh, you, as you've been speaking, I a lot of great messages have been coming across to me. You've been inspiring my thinking. And, uh, you know, I, the first thing that came to mind that I, I want to share with you and uh, with my listeners uh, about, because I, I, the demographics of my, of my podcast, I have just as many people who are 60 and older who listen to my podcast, the same percentage as people who are between uh, 25 and 35. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's that's it's cool. really, yeah, it's a really interesting distribution of, uh, of, of the audience that I have for my podcast. But here's a quote that I read off of Facebook one time that I thought is so good. And I remind myself of it every day. Today, you are the oldest you have ever been and the youngest you will ever be. <laughs> wow. And that's, and that's deep. Yeah, well, it is. But when you think about it, you know, the past is past. And mm-hmm. and and, you know, we can always I think as a lot of, you know, the kinds of questions that your songs raise, we can get so wrapped up in worrying about what happened in the past. Did I did I make the right choice? Did I date the right people? Did I join the right, you know, this, that and so forth that we we miss the forest for the trees? Mm-hmm. Uh, or the woods in your case. And yeah. uh, because um, every day is a gift. That's mm-hmm. why it's called the present. And, uh, and, uh, and we make, you know, the, the one of the things that I, I often would share with my, my students who would get down on the dumps, I'd say, you know, life is not an either or. You're not a winner or a loser. You're a winner or you learn from your mistakes. And it's a percentage game. And, and you know, and it's always unfair to compare yourself with others because, get this, this is really deep. We usually only see others at their best. We rarely see others at their worst, yet we know they got to have it, you know, Mm -hmm. just like we do. And I think that that's, that's, that's kind of, kind of interesting. Yeah. And I, I also think, um, sort of bouncing off what you were just saying through, I think sort of a, an interesting thing through writing this and releasing this and, 
getting comments and things like that from people online is um, a lot of people feel this way. And so like it, mm-hmm. like putting this out and hearing that from people, it's sort of like we create this little community realizing like we're all in this together. This isn't um, like you don't have to feel so isolated mm-hmm. in this and sort of in a way like through putting this out, through getting these comments from people and everything like that and sharing like the honest place of where I was made me realize like, um, you know, to an extent, like you were saying, you're going to be asking these questions for the rest of your life. You're never going to have a place. You're never really going to have answers for them. And so it, it's like kind of comforting um, Mm -hmm. to know that other people are going through the same thing. Um, you're gonna be asking yourselves that pretty much any any direction you take, any questions you like. There's gonna be a lot of unanswered things, mm-hmm. and it's comforting to know you're not alone in that. Well, you know what you you really hit the nail on the head of the probably the basis, the raison d'être, if you will, for my podcast. Because I started this podcast during the pandemic when I couldn't do any performing, couldn't have any rehearsals, and I have found it to be a great way to connect with other music people all over the world. And I always find that uh, very uh, uplifting. Here I am talking to you. You're in Tennessee, I assume, Mm -hmm. still. And I'm in Wisconsin. We're we're a good seven, eight hours apart by driving, mm-hmm. <laughs> assuming not bad traffic going through Chicago. I know I drive through Tennessee uh, every so often on our way to Atlanta, where we have some family. But um, uh, yet we can share and talk about very similar kinds of things because we both have a common denominator of music mm-hmm. in our, in our lives. And um, so I think that that's, you're right about making those kinds of connections, you know, through music. There's one connection I, I just want to bring up, um, and it comes from uh, photographs that you post on your uh, your uh, website, and I have a particular interest. I notice you post uh, photos of yourself wearing a band uniform and holding a clarinet. Yeah. And I and I have particular interest in that because for over 30 years, I've been a band director and uh, I, I taught high school band in and middle school band uh, in Texas for a while when I lived there. And then I've been a university band director since uh, the early 90s here in Wisconsin. And um, even though I retired from full time teaching in 2017, I'm just holding on too tight to that conductor's baton and I'm still directing the band because uh, band has been a big, big part of my life. I mean, it's really been the glue and the support and everything else for me. And uh, I, I, I suppose in some ways it probably has for you as well, since that was a part of your life. Yeah, I um, was in clarinet. I, I, I was in marching band. I played clarinet and it was so much fun. It was such a great learning experience, such a cool community. Um, and so I thought that that would be a good way to visually represent this era of my music and this mm-hmm. EP. 
And so that is one of the vintage band uniforms from my high school. We were able to go and buy one of those from them to sort of, they were oddly doing a fundraiser selling their old band uniforms whenever I was looking for them, uh, looking for a band uniform. And so we were able to go back um, on the high school field um, to take the cover art and Mm -hmm. all that. And so it was really cool. And um, it was really important for me to, to share, you know, marching band isn't necessarily a popular thing but it was what I did um and a huge part of my experience and so I thought that was really fun that I got to include that on my cover art because it was a big chapter of my life and sure um it also was a huge eye-opener for music for me opened my eyes to so many different musicians and um types of music that I wouldn't have otherwise gotten um if I wasn't in marching band so absolutely love mm-hmm. marching band love clarinet um it yeah so i i was really excited that i got to include that as a part of my first project i, I used to tell my high school students i said i became a band director because i loved band i loved it so much and i said and being a director is still kind of like being in the band except i'm standing in front of it instead of being in it you know and <laughs> they used yeah. to think that was kind of funny yeah, and you know, I I feel like once you've gone to a football game as a member of the marching band and you've played in the marching band at a football game, you can't attend a game. It's like not nearly as fun. It's so much fun being in the band <laughs> section during a game. Like you get to play songs and there's a touchdown. You get to like just play songs that the cheerleaders dance to and everybody is just being themselves as being quirky and weird and it's fun um and going to a football game it's just it's just not nearly as fun without being in marching band you know even to this day if i go to a football game i always have to at least sit near the band I I can't stand to not be around it. I I guess it just gets in you, gets under your skin so deep. You just can't seem to, you know, and, um, and every once in a while I have to, I have to get near a school bus just, just to capture the fumes or something. I don't know. (laughs) There used to be something about getting on that yellow bus on a Friday afternoon and driving to, uh, you know, an away game, uh, with all the students and all that, I actually, I actually used to enjoy. Well, and I enjoyed it too when I was in high school. It was always, always kind of fun. But yeah, yeah, it was yeah. so much fun too going to competitions where oh, yeah. you're surrounded by just all the band kids from all these different places, yep. like melding together. Um, yeah. yeah, marching band's great. Well, see, and what you're saying is also true too. When you become a band director then all your friends become who are all your friends are other band directors <laughs> and when you get together that's what you talk about is mm-hmm. is what are you playing what are you doing you know what are you doing for contest you know or what what uh what march are you playing for your warm up march for for festival or what stuff like that so yeah 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 it's it's kind of kind of a funny kind of a funny thing and 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 you're right about the you know, being able to just geek out and just be weird and have fun. And I, you know, I, I still kind of do that, believe it or not. Uh, um, of course, part of that is, is uh, 
you know, my wife told me the other day I could really be a, be an idiot. And I said, thanks for the permission Uh, (laughs) because I really am immature for my age. And I I have a couple of group music groups that I uh, include a number of college students. And uh, I'm always trying to get them to loosen up and have more fun. I can't believe that it's coming from the old guy in the group, you know. But anyway, uh, I, just to switch gears a little bit to something that that uh, maybe is more philosophical uh, about your music and how you think about your music. Uh, you know, the ancient Greeks, you know, claimed that the purpose of tragedy in drama was to serve as an emotional catharsis, a cleansing uh, for those witnessing the drama. And one could experience uh, emotional pain of what they're witnessing on stage without having to bear the actual pain of what's being viewed. Now, when we talk about the aesthetic purpose of your songs, and I'm sure there there is one, I have no doubt there is an aesthetic purpose. do you feel like that it, you're providing some sort of an emotional cleansing for yourself uh, or for your listeners, or are you just simply kind of making observations about human situations that maybe anybody would? Hmm. That's an interesting question. I think definitely, I think it's a mixture of both okay. um, because once I had released the EP glory days, I did feel like, like I've gotten this out, like I've said my piece um, about sort of my quarter life crisis. Like I've been honest with it. And afterwards I felt like sort of relief. Like now people have that out there. I've put this into song. Um, People can listen to it, experience it. Um, And so for me, it was sort of like a a cleansing experience. Um, I felt relief whenever it was out and people could hear that. and I do also think that there are observational moments of like, it wasn't necessarily um, a cleansing or it wasn't necessarily solving a problem or providing a solution. It was just observing. This is how it is. This is how I've experienced it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I think that from things I've read of what people have, you know, gotten from listening to the album, I do think that some of people who listened felt sort of that cleansing experience of not necessarily relief, um, but like I mentioned a little earlier, sort of an experience of, I feel better now because someone else is going through this. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think in that way, it provided that experience for my audience. Um, But yeah, I I think that it's sort of a mixture of both of those things, the observing Mm -hmm. and also the cleansing. Well, see, I think I, uh, you know, that uh, art really would, I think the purpose of art is to give us pause, give us pause to think about uh, things in society, culture, and our own lives. And I, I believe that when, uh, you know, a particular song resonates with you, then it kind of directs you to to think yourself i think you're absolutely right also though about you know as human beings we all have common emotions that we we share maybe we share them in different ways or we experience them in different ways but you know it it would probably be fair to say that everybody 
at one time or another has asked the kinds of questions that you raise in your songs, maybe not in exactly the same way, but you know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. very similar kinds of things. And uh, something, you know, I, I, it's like um, uh, sharing is a way of, uh, you know, releasing and, and also um, finding out that you're not alone in the way that you feel is also very reassuring and very cleansing and very supportive. Um, you know, and I think that uh, musically, certainly we can, we, we do that. We, we find ways to find that, that, that kind of common ground. Uh, and it's, uh, I, I think that's one of the beauties of music and and poetry and uh you know things that express the human heart mm -hmm. uh and i i find that that's uh uh one of the things i love about music all kinds of music expresses things mm -hmm. well when we get to maybe more of the mechanics of your music kind of just the more mechanics of it uh who were models for your vocal style and qual and the quality. Who do you feel that you were? Well, I hate to always say influenced by, but who you might emulate because it's who you listen to. Um, as far as major influences and um, vocally, I would say um, really influenced by Linda Ronstadt and oh. Carol King. Um, mm -hmm. as well as Casey Musgraves and Allison Krauss. Mm, okay. Um, I especially Carol King, maybe not in the vocal sense, but since Carol King was predominantly a piano player as well, um, it was really cool listening to her music. And it, I mean, her songs are absolutely incredible and they're piano based. And I started out with piano. And so wow. hearing someone who was able to be such an incredible songwriter and so successful. And also having piano central to that was really influential and really inspiring. Um, then Linda Ronstadt, I just love the, um, like, you can tell that she's behind every lyric that she sings, like the way that, the mm -hmm. way that she delivered it. Um, and then Casey Musgraves was a big inspiration for me to take the country route um, with my music because she was able to, um, give honest observations that are poignant and then also funny or, you know, she really can turn a phrase. Um, and I also love her vocal quality. And then um, I'm a big fan of bluegrass music and oh. Alison Krauss is just, she's got such a clear tone, so cool. Um, and so those are definitely four major inspirations for me. Um, both vocally and otherwise. And I think that inspiration is like really interesting because a lot of times I can say something that like this person influenced my music and someone listening would have absolutely no idea, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> that that was one of the things because it's, you know, um, different in how different inspirations come across. It, mm -hmm. It's not always able to be perceived on the receiving end, but it was definitely there um, influencing me. You know, it's, it's, that's an interesting combination of what you just relayed. Carol King, I don't know how much you know about her background, but you know, or, or have you ever heard of the Brill building in New York City? 
I know that she was like a huge songwriter. She was. Yeah, she was. Here. It was a. It was a very commercial. Uh, there were there there were like Neil Sedaka was part of that. Paul Simon. There were a number of professional songwriters. That's what they do all day. They'd sit in the in the Brill Building, which was in New York City, and they'd write songs. And they mm -hmm. were expected to churn out X number of songs every day. And then and then they would find artists to record them. And so it was sort of a, for lack of a better term, a, a, a song factory. Uh, yeah. I, I almost want to call it a, a song sweatshop, but not quite because <laughs> I think they, but, you know, so yeah. their idea was to churn out pop songs. So she wrote lots and lots of songs for other people and it wasn't till james taylor encouraged her says you really ought to record some of your own songs that she finally did and of course was a huge hit in the 70s when i feel the earth move and and uh you know which i, I still can hear that in my head when it was from from that time but then also you know going out to the west coast with linda ronstadt and uh, she always kind of had that country rock background because she was the lead singer for the Stone Ponies. And then uh, then she has that wonderful renaissance of uh, back in the 80s when she's singing a lot of the old uh, big band uh, American uh, Great American Songbook pieces with mm -hmm. the Nelson Riddle group. And then I think one of her best albums that I really liked was recognizing her Hispanic heritage when she sang all of the uh, uh, songs that she learned as a little girl and mm -hmm. sang them in Spanish. And she brought, uh, I think, a wealth of, of you know, so I find that you, you're bicoastal there, see, and then yeah. to kind of meet in the middle of the bluegrass of Kentucky with, mm -hmm. uh, you know, is with Alison Krauss, uh, who I also love, and I also love bluegrass music. And have you ever been to Owensboro, Kentucky? I've not. Oh, well, you need to go because that's where the Bluegrass Hall of Fame is. Yeah, I got to go there. Oh, yeah. Plus, there's a super barbecue joint there. If you like barbecue, I'll tell you all I about it. I love barbecue. Well, then all you got to do is email me. I'll tell you. No, I'll just tell you now. Go to the Moonlight Inn. Okay. In Moonlight, Owensboro, in, Owensboro, Moonlight Inn in Owensboro, Kentucky, but also the Hall of Fame is there. And, um, and uh, of course, uh, Bill Monroe and, and all those other founders, but Alison Krauss and of course the recordings that she did with Robert Plant. Oh my gosh. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Mm -hmm. And I would say, I hear all of that in your voice. You oh, have that. You. There is, I hear that uh, when you sing, now I think about it and I think, yeah, that does kind of resemble that kind of Linda Ronstant style of, of moving upward an interval or whatever, you know, if I want to get, because sometimes, you know, the darndest thing is that when you study music and you get degrees in music, you don't just listen to music. You have to analyze it too. You just do. You know, <laughs> that's so true. Yeah, it's yeah. so hard for me to just sit back and just I mean, I really have to make sure I flip off all my switches to just sit back and, and enjoy music because I have a tendency to pick it all apart and, and listen to it. But uh, I think that's a, a wonderful uh, 
uh, concoction that has become part of your musical DNA. And, uh, and then you bring a unique spin to all of that. So it's sort of like we have all those different things in the mix and then we've got Rachel who is, who is unique and different and so on. And oh, thank you. you all, had, yeah, well, I, you know, I think there's, that's well-deserved in terms of what you're, you're doing. Cause I think you have a wonderful voice and I, and I like your songs, but okay. then when I ask you about songwriters, you admire, I mm -hmm. suppose Carol King would probably also be in there. Yes. Carol King is definitely yeah. uh, towards the top. And I always take my piano whenever I'm playing a show and I feel the earth move is almost always what I like to close my sets out with because it's so much fun mm -hmm. to play that piano part. Um, and I don't think people expect me to to play that. Um, and it's always a really fun reaction from the crowd. But uh, so songwriting inspirations, definitely Carol King. Um, then a lot of my songwriting inspirations are um, country singer songwriters. So mm -hmm. Randy Clark, Casey Musgraves, um, Ashley Monroe, Angelina Presley, Miranda Lambert. Um, there are so many really good songwriters um, in Nashville right now, or not just in Nashville, but that are making country music. And um, I was also a huge Taylor Swift fan growing up. So she's probably integral to my uh, songwriting as well. Um, but I have just really fallen in love with the way that these female songwriters are able to make observations about life in the South or small town life. Um, and it's really resonated with me. And so mm -hmm. I, I pull a lot of that um, in my, in my music and in my songwriting. And the first time that I ever even thought that I was going to be a country songwriter was when I heard Casey Musgraves album pageant material and that was that album was written by Casey Musgraves, Brandy Clark, Shane McAnally, and Josh Osborne. And so all of them are huge inspirations for my music. And um, it just, like, I had written songs prior to listening to that album. But mm -hmm. when I heard that, I realized that I had all of this different energy that I wanted to incorporate in my music. I had sort of more... Um, melancholy thing, themes I wanted to incorporate, but then I had sort of witty observations that I wanted to incorporate. And I realized that I could do that through country music and it blended together well. Mm -hmm. I, I've got a question I want to ask you, and you don't have to answer it because I didn't include it in the original questions <laughs> that I sent you, but it's one that I, I'm curious about because of what you've had to say. Was becoming a country-oriented artist a conscious choice for you, or was it something that you just found was what felt most comfortable and you kind of fell into that? Oh, that's a really interesting question. So growing up in a small town in East Tennessee, obviously, you know, a lot of folks around me were listening to country music, yeah. but I really wasn't. Um, I My grandfather would always play like the classics when he would take me to Cracker Barrel or something like that. Like, yeah. so, so I had a, like a heavy um, serving of old classic country music, mm -hmm. but growing up, I wasn't really listening to what was being played on the radio or um, what was popular at the time where I was when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. And um, I also think that 
I had like a slight aversion to it just because Mm -hmm. that's what everybody was listening to. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when I was growing up, I was much more into Paramore, like alternative rock. I also was listening to a lot of classical music because I did piano. So I was listening Mm -hmm. to a lot of Tchaikovsky and Chopin. um, And then I was listening to like big band jazz music um, and then Taylor Swift thrown in there. But um, it was a conscious decision to do country music um, because I realized um, when I heard pageant material that I had sort of let this aversion to country music's popularity in my area keep me out from all of this incredible music and all this incredible songwriting. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I, when I heard that album, it just really unlocked something in me where I realized like all these sounds they're so comforting because they've been around like steel guitar banjo mandolin they just are very comforting instruments for me to hear and three-part harmony because they had I had grown up with that all around Mm -hmm. and I associated Mm -hmm. so many positive memories with those sounds um and then I realized that even though I hadn't grown up listening to what was on country radio that I had so many experiences growing up in the South through different traditions and um, just observations I had made that really fit country music. Mm -hmm. And so I just sort of decided to stop denying that part of me. (laughs) There you go. um, And just go into it. And now it's funny looking back on it because a lot of the music that I love was music that was... um, maybe not necessarily played on the radio when I was growing up, but was released when I was growing up. I love Miranda Lambert's music. And, um, and so if I had just opened my eyes to it sooner, um, you know, who knows, who knows where I'd be, but I, uh, but that's, it was a conscious decision to do country music. Um, So that's, that's an interesting question. You know what I love about country music is it, it tells a story. Mm-hmm. It tells a story and, and and it tells a story very much the same way that 19th century German leader tells a story. In what way? Well, because it conveys in two and a half or three minutes, a complete scene. Take, for example, if uh, Franz Schubert, the Erlkönig, if you're not familiar with that, look it up and also get a translation of the, of the of the lyrics because in that in that song it tells this it just paints this very vivid imagery in your head it tells a story and 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 i think country music is that way too Mm -hmm. i always remember when i lived in the dallas fort worth area uh there was a radio station, WBAP, which had been a country music station since the 1920s. It was one of the earliest. It was almost as as uh, old as the uh, WSN in Nashville, mm-hmm. that where the Grand Ole Opry originated. But WBAP used to have these billboards all around the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And one of the big right there was that country music tells a story. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I've uh, always found that to be a fascinating aspect of of uh, 
country music. I will also tell you that when I was uh, an, uh, still an associate, no, an assistant professor of music, I hadn't even gotten tenure yet. I was awarded a self uh, uh, a professional development grant that allowed me to purchase whatever I needed for my own personal development as a music educator. And wow. you know what I bought? I bought a box set of the complete symphonies of Gustav Mahler and a box set of the complete Hank Williams. <laughs> I like that duo. I like that. Company. Well, that's me because I, you know, here I am, you know, I'm a PhD in music. I've studied classical music. I love classical music. I've talked about it, taught it, everything else, but I also love country music too, because mm -hmm. it tells a story in a very, uh, or as I think it was, uh, I forget who coined the phrase, three chords and the truth. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and I think that uh, it's, it's just wonderful. And you talk about all the, all those wonderful experiences you've had with different kinds of music and the kinds of uh, Americana that exists in the South, in the South that has kind of disappeared, like, like shape note singing. We don't have any of that up, up here that I'm aware of, but I know they still have shape note sings in Georgia and uh, probably parts of Tennessee and that sort of mm -hmm. thing where people get together and, and do that, uh, that kind of, singing and uh of course uh you know country fiddle music i'll tell you a book if you've not ever read it that you would find fascinating is country music usa by bill malone okay i'll have to look that up bill malone i met about three or four years ago he uh lives and if he's still alive i haven't kept up with him so i don't know it but he lives lived in madison wisconsin just down the road from me. And one year for the book festival at our school, Bill had been invited to speak and they wanted me to introduce him because his book is still considered the definitive history of country music. Wow. And if you've seen the Ken Burns documentary on country music, Bill is one of the talking heads in that documentary, and his book was used as kind of a reference point for a lot of the information that Ken Burns put across. Wow. But uh, I always have a credo, personal credo, that if I'm going to introduce an author, I'm going to read their book first. Well, his book is like over 700 pages long. I mean, it's uh, when I say definitive in paperback, wow. it, it's a great book, but a wonderful resource. And you learn so much about country music and where it came from and how it got started and and why it is so appealing to people. And uh, and a lot of it is because it tells stories and it tells lots of different kinds of stories. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. I think one that still scares me is the I think is it Lefty Frizzell's The Long Black Veil. I don't know if you know that song. Oh my goodness, that's a that's a ghost story that will just give you shivers when you listen to it. And uh, of course, uh, I love uh, I love Hank Williams and Jimmy Rogers and all those people that mm -hmm. uh, Carter family and the vocal harmony. Like you said, that's the other thing I love about country music is that that vocal harmony. Mm -hmm. And so, I think you said something that made me think um, of this. I was actually a writer before I was a songwriter. Okay. And so my mom, my mom's a writer. She's an English teacher. 
And so she had me writing poetry and short stories from when I was six years old. And um, so I got really comfortable doing short stories and writing poetry and that sort of stuff before I even thought about incorporating music into it. And so now whenever I'm actually writing music, I always start with like the concept or the story that I'm trying to convey or what I'm trying to say through the the song before I'm thinking, how am I going to make this rhyme? How am I going to make this into a melody and that sort of thing? And so I think that that's also what drew me to country music is that you were getting full stories. You were getting, you know, these experiences through a song, not just some catchy, fun hook. Um, you were really getting like meat. Like after I listened to um, Ashley McBride's latest album she just put out, Lindyville, um, it felt like I had just read a book. Like it felt like I had just read a novel and I really like that. Um, like you get to meet the different characters, you get to learn about their experiences. And um, so I, I try to incorporate that in my music. Mm -hmm. No, I, 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 I hear you. I think that's what's, that's what's wonderful about, about uh, singer songwriters that really, I, I guess what really lights lights it up for me is when I can listen to the music enhancing the lyrics and the lyrics are creating a imagery in my mind's eye and I feel like I can just actually see what they're conveying there's a there's an artist I I interviewed oh my let's see how long I've been probably well over a year and a half ago. He's one of my early guests, a uh, uh, Nashville-based uh, singer-songwriter, George Shingleton. And uh, the, the song of his that that just got my attention, it's entitled, There's an Empty Shot Glass Sitting on the Bar. Anyway, but it's not so much about drinking as it is about creating the imagery of being alone in this bar and the way he describes the neon signs of the of the beer signs and all and 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 all of this kind of stuff and i i just thought that is so cool because when i can close my eyes i feel like i'm transported to that particular uh place mm -hmm. uh there's all you know i think singer songwriters like good poets well singer-songwriter is a poet they just set poetry to music <laughs> and mm -hmm. that's what a, a song is i believe is yeah. just poet um and uh and that's what i love about about the, the the written word and especially when it's set to music so that's that's great well you talk about your creative process in terms of getting yourself uh kind of aligned what it with what it is you want to convey so once you get the concept down what what comes what comes first think about the last song that you were writing and and at, once you kind of got the, the concept of what you wanted to convey does a mel melody come to to mind or chords or or what what usually comes first to you um well i always so the last song that i wrote just wrote it a few days ago um I first had to have the concept um of what I wanted the whole overall picture to be mm -hmm. and then um I just started something that I do whenever I'm trying I have a concept but I don't really have a jumping off point mm -hmm. is I just start writing as if I was writing a, t a story okay. um so I I don't write in lines I write just descriptions of what the story would be mm -hmm. Um, and then I can sort of 
pick out different little points in that and figure out from those paragraphs that I would write, what could be, what's the repeating theme of this? And then if I can find something that sort of rings throughout what I wrote down, then that I'll pull that for the chorus. And then I'll take the little details and I'll put those in where the verses are. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, it's sort of like if I was relating it to like writing an essay or writing a story, it's like the chorus is the thesis and the supporting mm -hmm. points are mm -hmm. the verses. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so that's, that's sort of how it always goes for me. And then when I'm trying to translate that into music, sometimes when I'm writing and I just have like a few verses or I have a chorus or something, I'll be really tempted to grab my guitar and just start like figuring it out, figuring out the melody, figuring out, um, the chords for different parts. However, I have realized that just for me personally, that sometimes takes me on a different path like that's not so great um <laughs> because I get so focused on like trying to make something line up with the melody or trying uh -huh. to make this rhyme come out really good and so what I really try to do now is have the entire song written or at least the verse and chorus written um before I try to start putting the melody along with that okay. and so um it is a mat like trying to figure out what chords to use, what melody to have. It is a process for me of trial and error. Mm -hmm. um, this last song I just wrote, I had probably two or three different melodies um, and two or three different chord progressions that I tried out before I landed on one that I was happy with that I felt like um, supported the theme of the music. Mm -hmm. um, and because I, I never want to put something in my music that like it feels like it doesn't really go like it doesn't support the lyrics of what you're hearing so I mm -hmm. want the tone of that to be right um and so yeah it it is sort of um putting the music to it can sometimes be a long process um and there are songs like currently that I have written down that I haven't figured out how to convey those melodically yet um, mm -hmm. but it, it takes time, but the, the music aspect comes usually after I have at least a big chunk of it written. And mm -hmm. I know that different, different people write in different styles, but that's they sure do. Yeah. That's how, <laughs> that's how I do it. <laughs> you know, that's why I always ask that question of every singer songwriter I interview, because I am fascinated by everyone's creative process. Uh, and I find also a lot of singer songwriters who were English lit majors in college. And the, and you know, and, and you're with your experience of, of your mom being an English teacher, how you have everything structured out from a prosaic standpoint before you apply the music to it and then you adjust as, as needed uh, is, is very interesting. Um, I had another singer songwriter. I remember, I can't remember who it was now, but uh, uh, she said that she started with the title of the song. She would come up with a title of the song and she would treat it like, okay, this is the title of my paper. Now I'm going to look for topic sentences. And those would be like uh, the, 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 uh, the chorus would be kind of like, and then, and then the, the verse would be supporting lines to support whatever's in the you know in the in the chorus it's all very fascinating to me 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's sort of similar, like um, coming up with the title, coming up with the concept, sort of sometimes the concept is the title. Yeah. Um, and so it, it is interesting hearing how different people work. And I know some people write music to like they hear they have someone else that plays the track or they have a chord progression and then they build off of that. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's really interesting to see how different people work in that sense. And um, I think that the music industry is better for it because people have different ways that they get to where they go. I, I couldn't agree more that kind of diversity. I mean, the thing that always, the other thing that just impresses the heck out of me are people that I've talked to that will actually, when they see a, a given, it's sort of like synesthesia. They see a particular scene and the music just comes in their head. In other words, they make a musical association with that given scene or emotion or uh, person. Some people are inspired by people they see out in, you know, walking around or whatever. You know, everyone has different kinds of inspiration. Mm-hmm. Well, it's fascinating to hear yours. I, yeah. I, I really like I really like that. Well, yeah. let's go, uh, let's go kind of along that, uh, along, I want to di- just drill down a little bit different, a little, a little bit more. You had a really great producer working with you on your, on your recording. How much of uh, the producer's direction and contribution built the final product of your songs as they came out on the recording? Uh, so I worked with Dran Michael. Um, he produced the whole EP and um it's it's different for each song as far as how much his creative direction inspires the end product of the song um because it's it's definitely like a a team effort trying to figure out different sounds that work and what doesn't work um and so sometimes um I'll come in and I'll say I'll play him the song or I'll send the demo before we have the studio day mm-hmm. and I'll say here's how I want it like the end production to sort of sound like. So I'll have like a reference song. Mm-hmm. So um, for example, Queen of Our Hometown, I sent him um, a Casey Musgrave song called Dime Store Cowgirl. And then we we sort of built the song um, around that sort of style of production. Um, and then when I, another example is when I did Glory Days, um, that song had reached i had a video go like semi-viral on tiktok for my song glory days and since so many people had gravitated towards the raw sort of production style that i just had in the demo that i played on tiktok we didn't want to stray that too far from what people had originally heard um but then on the completely other side of the spectrum, a song that he had a major influence in how it ended up sounding was my song, Miss Highfalutin, um, because I had written that song back when I was in college and it was a completely different style song. Like if I played you the demo that I had created that in 2015, it sounds like a completely different song. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got into the studio and I told him, I was like, I don't like, I don't like how I did this production. Um, I want it to sound different, but I don't know how I want it to sound different. And he listened to the song and he really heard the lyrics. And he was like, he just started playing this really cool, swampy sort of um, acoustic riff. Mm-hmm. And immediately he was like, I think this is the direction we should take the song. Mm-hmm. And so we took it in a completely different direction. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's... Um, he definitely has quite a bit of influence on the music. 
Um, but he mm-hmm. takes into my con- um, my thoughts into consideration. Um, if I come in and I have, this is exactly how I want it to sound, then we work on it and he'll throw in his ideas. But it's a real team building, uh, teamwork process, um, finding out, you know, what works, what doesn't. Mm-hmm. And we're both on the same page. We want to make the song as good as it can be. And, oh, of course. Uh, and so, so we um, sort of work through that together. And, and every single time, it's a it's a different you know mm-hmm. percentage of how much my influence has on it, how much his influence has on it. Um, but it's a really cool process. And I, I'm actually going back in the studio this Friday. Um, and so I've been sending him like the notes before um, that I always send him before we record a song. And so it's a really fun process. I really enjoy working with him. Well, okay. So you're going in the studio this Friday. What can you tell us about what you're going to do? Can you, um, or is it top secret? It's not top secret. Um, it It is a little early in the year for this. However, um, you know, I, I'm a planner. Um, so it's actually a Christmas song that I wrote that we're going to be recording. Um, and so I'm really excited. It's going to be my first Christmas song that I'll have released and um so i told him i was going to bring some of my leftover christmas spirit uh to the recording session so okay. i'll probably wear like a, a christmas sweater or something like that oh there you go <laughs> take some so, christmas lights in with me so you're going to record it for neg- to, for release next year just before christmas mm-hmm. well so i one of my big goals with it is to have it placed in some sort of like movie or tv show uh-huh. or commercial Um, and so those, it's actually, it's sort of bizarre how early you have to get that music in. I don't doubt it. So the main, um, like sync licensing and all that sort of stuff for Christmas shows and movies happens in June. And so I want to make sure that I have everything all together, ready to, um, pitch for TV and film by June. Okay. Um, so that's that's why we're getting in there and doing this early. But I'm also going to be recording some other stuff um, this year that is not Christmas related. Um, but I'm just really excited to keep working with Dran on that. Well, so so then that leads me to ask: Then are you planning another full album or another EP? What's what what's your thinking? Well, you know, I think um, I will be releasing some. Um, like acoustic versions of of my songs I already have out um but I I'm not sure if I right now I'll probably be releasing singles for just a little bit okay um and keep on um bringing the focus back to glory days mm-hmm. um but probably at least in the next year so I think in in 2023 I'll be releasing singles um, and then possibly looking into 2024 is releasing um, either my another EP or a full length album. I really enjoyed doing a full length project mm-hmm. um, because like I said, I, I think a lot of, I think about songs as like short stories and writing. And mm-hmm. so it's really cool to um, release a full length project because you can kind of think about those, or at least I think about them sort of as chapters in a book and mm-hmm. so it, it's fun to add different chapters instead of trying to tell the whole story in just one chapter um so yeah 
I just thought about what it is that you're doing. You're like, you're like uh, uh, a TV show on a streaming service. It's like, you know, like uh, Netflix and you're going to release a different episode as you go along. That's going to, it's what it sounds like. I don't know if yeah. you are or not, but that's not a bad way. I mean, you know, you're still, you're still kind of in the, the genesis of your career. And mm -hmm. so by doing singles, you're keeping your, your, your name out there on a more regular basis. And uh, perhaps that's going to help contribute to the growth of your fan base. Mm -hmm. uh, because then it's your, your fans who are really going to, you know, sit still and listen to a full album yeah uh, or so so i think that's maybe a smart uh way to market yourself like i know anything i don't but <laughs> i just no it just makes sense to me yeah. to do that and so that's great so we'll be looking for new singles coming from you during the next year mm -hmm. that's awesome well i'm uh, uh then i'm not even going to ask you if you're currently writing any new songs because obviously you are so Absolutely. I want to I want to go to something that is uh, a, a kind of a double-edged sword question here. Okay. Okay. What have been some of your most memorable musical experiences? Wow. Um, well, probably one of my most memorable music experiences. Um, I'd have to throw all the way back to my early days taking piano lessons. Okay. Um, I started taking piano lessons when I was nine years old. And my instructor is an absolutely incredible piano teacher. Her name is Celeste Varagona. She's from Florence. Her dad used to be the conductor of the orchestra in Florence. And so she has a really um, deep background uh, in music. And so she was um, more, I think she was like more intense, um, more... Uh, structured than a lot of piano teachers are so she had us doing competitions um, regularly we had concerts regularly and so definitely one of my most memorable music memorable music experiences at the tongue twister um, <laughs> is doing the state piano competition when I was really young um, okay I was so I was so nervous um, to be at the state piano competition because I had to have these songs memorized and then the the judge would look at the you know the music while I was playing and it was so so nerve-wracking um I was just I was so so nervous before those and I just remember I don't know if anyone's ever told you this before you did some sort of musical thing that you were nervous for but I was always instructed to eat a bunch of bananas um and so okay. so I just associate uh going to the going to state piano competitions being as nervous I've ever been just eating bananas just constantly um and then the relief that I felt after that is unparalleled to any like there's there's no comparing it um even if I didn't win once mm -hmm. it was just over um was such a relief and I my one of my last years being in the state piano competition when I was in high school I was playing um I was playing a sonata that was 25 pages and I had to play it by memory and about halfway through playing I just started you know 
by the time that I was playing the music, it was a lot of muscle memory. Mm-hmm. Obviously, your brain still has to be there, but your mm-hmm. fingers can sort mm-hmm. of do the job. Mm-hmm. And so my mind started to drift about halfway through this sonata. And I started thinking about where my dad and I were going to go eat afterwards. <laughs> and and I came back into consciousness of the moment of playing this and realized I had no idea where I was. Like my oh. fingers were still going, but like, I was mm-hmm. like, what is, where am I? Where can I pick this mm-hmm. up? So I just start like improvising this part until I can figure out where I can jump back in. Mm-hmm. And so like, I kept, I kept going. Like I, I just kept playing in the same, you know, um mm-hmm. the same key signature until I could figure out where I was and afterwards um I did not win um I did not win because I, I mean obviously I'd messed up so much um but I think I got I got runner-up but the judge put on the card that um it wasn't Beethoven but it was good <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> um yeah and afterwards um my dad had no idea that I had messed up he was like that was that was one of the best times I had heard it Rachel and I was like I just improvised like multiple minutes of this (laughs) while I was trying to figure out where I was so um that was definitely one of my most memorable (laughs) moments in music you know I'm only laughing and smiling because I've been there yep yeah yeah we 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 get that to where we're playing and it just is sort of like you fall into your second consciousness and 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 it's just like something else takes over and you know you're playing and you know you're going but you're not really sure that you're completely in control but you are uh you know yeah yeah, i know it's kind of interesting all right well here's (laughs) another question that a lot of people find very difficult to answer uh if there was any musical artist alive or dead you could perform with who would it be and why wow um if so i'm going this this might be um i don't know if this is an answer that'll work because this is multiple people but they played together in a group for a while and um so i'm gonna say it um is the trio which was Dolly Parton, Emilio Harris, and Linda Ronstadt all together when they did their their bluegrass um, country okay. albums. They are, all of them blended together was just absolutely incredible. So if I could perform with them, that would be, that would be the peak. I mean, that would just be absolutely incredible. Okay. I actually just designed a poster of the three of them to put up in my little music area. Um, so yeah absolutely love them okay um, but as far as people that are still playing i also am obsessed with uh lucas nelson and promise of the real um if you're not familiar with lucas he's willie nelson's son oh. um and he does incredible um americana country music and so yeah definitely a bucket list item to if not play with them open a show for them okay what well, tell me his name again Lucas Nelson. Oh, and- Lucas, Lucas, mm-hmm. Lucas Nelson. Okay. I'll have to check him out. I don't, I, I'm not familiar with his music. Of course, I've listened to, to, to Willie Whalen and the boys for a lot of years, but, but I'm not familiar with Lucas. Well, that's wonderful. Well, and I don't think that your answer is, 
out of the realm of you just turn the trio into a quartet is all. Exactly. Yeah, that's really <laughs> great. Well, I only have a couple of more questions for okay. you, and then we're gonna we're gonna uh, wrap things up. I uh, I come through Tennessee usually a couple of times a year, uh, coming and going. We 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 have family that lives in the Atlanta area, so when we drive down, my wife and I we always go uh, through Tennessee and on our way. And so, you know, next time I'm passing through Tennessee, where should I stop to come hear you play? And 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 then also, if you would tell us about any live shows you have coming up and, and venues where you typically appear and if you're planning a tour or anything like that, where can I come and hear you play? Yeah, well, um, I play all over like the East Tennessee area. So um, I play in Chattanooga a lot. I also play in the Knoxville area a lot. Um, I'm trying to get some more songwriters rounds and things like that in Nashville going um, but as far as venues I play in Chattanooga area, um, there's this really awesome venue named Songbirds, um, which since you're such a music buff, I think that you would love Songbirds. Mm -hmm. It actually, it's also, um, a music history museum. And so they have mm -hmm. incredible vintage guitars, um, and exhibits that they have in there. Um, and so it's a really cool place to play because you're playing in the midst of all of this music history um they have like uh they have like a guitar that was um Jimi Hendrix guitar they have guitars that were in uh, country music that were um just anything you, you name it it's there um and so that's a really cool venue that I play at sometimes as well mm -hmm. as um the signal in Chattanooga um and then coming up I'm going to be playing at the Cornbread Festival in uh in uh, South Pittsburgh. And that is a town that's just about an hour outside of Chattanooga. And I love cornbread. And so I'm, mm -hmm. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I'm going to be playing on the front porch stage there and um, it's going to be a good time. Hopefully I'll get quite a bit of cornbread. You'll hear some good music. Uh, so people should come out to that. I'm happy to know there is a cornbread festival. That's really great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, you hear about other kinds of festivals that are devoted to food. This is the first time I've heard of a cornbread festival, and I'm glad to know that it's yeah, being celebrated. Yeah, they have celebrated. all different kinds of cornbread and oh, everything you can imagine. I, I can I can imagine. It would probably be great. Uh, well, that's super, because I, I do pass right through Chattanooga on uh, U.S. Or no, not U.S. It's the, the freeway. Was it 70? I think it is. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so Songbirds. Mm -hmm. And what was the name of the other place again? Um, the Signal. The Signal. Songbirds and the Signal. I'd like to put that on the old bucket list and look for when you're appearing there. If we happen to cross paths, that'd be wonderful. Yeah. Well, that's just awesome. Well, Rachel, is there anything else you would like to add or tell my audience that I haven't asked you about? Um, well, I hope your audience knows what an awesome podcast they've stumbled onto. I think that <laughs> you do such a great job. You have such um, thorough questions that you ask, and they're really interesting. And so I just appreciate your time and uh, taking the time to share my music with your audience. I really appreciate it. Well, you're quite welcome. And, and Rachel, I want to thank you for taking time to talk with me today. And I want to wish you all the best with what I'm sure is going to be a continued successful musical future. Well, thank you.
You bet. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Bye. Bye. My discovery composer of the week is James Stevenson, leading American orchestras, instrumentalists, and wind ensembles around the world have performed the music of Chicago-based composer James M. Stevenson. A formal sense of melody and tonality characterize his music, each embedded in a contemporary soundscape. These qualities, coupled with the composer's keen ability to write to each occasion, have led to a steady stream of commissions and ongoing projects. The Chicago Symphony Orchestra and Ricardo Muti premiered Jim's bass trombone concerto in June of 2019 with Charles Vernon as soloist. Also in 2019, Jim's Symphony No. 3, Visions, was premiered at the University of Miami and subsequently recorded by the Lake Forest Symphony. Jim has been recently commissioned by the San Francisco Ballet for a new 30-minute ballet for premiere in 2021. Additionally, he was just named musical collaborator with the Grand Rapids Symphony for the 2021 season, which includes the creation of a special concert with violinist Joshua Bell and soprano Larissa Martinez. In addition to a Portland Youth Philharmonic Commission, other upcoming projects include a commission with the Cincinnati Pops and Buffalo Philharmonic. Another Marine Band premiere, a guitar concerto, piano concerto, and a concert opera for the International Chamber Artists, where Jim has just been named composer in residence. A second bass trombone concerto received its orchestral premiere with the St. Louis Symphony and soloist Jerry Pagano in 2017. Under the direction of Colonel Jason Fettig, the President's own United States Marine Band commissioned a symphony, the composer's second in this genre, and gave the work its premiere in 2016 and subsequently recorded the work. That Symphony No. 2, Voices, has gone on to win the two most prestigious concert band awards, the National Band Association's Ravelli Award in 2017, and the American Bandmasters Association Sousa Oswald Award in 2018, and continues to be performed worldwide to great acclaim. Additionally, compose yourself. Stevenson's landmark young audience work has now been performed over 300 times since its creation in 2002, engaging children in New Zealand and Canada and across the United States. Additional premieres include Carnegie Hall in May 2017, Charleston, or excuse me, Chamber Music Charleston, and in 2019 at the University of Kentucky, and in the summers of 2017 and 2019 at the Music Academy of the West, which premiered Martha Uncaged and Cocoon, respectively, with the composer conducting. 2017 also saw the West Coast premiere of his violin concerto at the famed Cabrillo Music Festival.
the 2017-2018 saw a new low brass concerto with the Minnesota Orchestra and Osmo Vasca, Jim's second premiere with that orchestra and Maestro Vasca. Vasca followed up on the premiere by personally commissioning a new chamber work, Factors, from Jim. Stevenson's Liquid Melancholy CD on the Cedillo label, consisting entirely of clarinet music recorded by the Chicago Symphony's John Bruce Yeh, garnered a Grammy nomination for Best Engineered Classical in 2019. His powerful and emotional Concerto for Hope was recorded with the Memphis Symphony and trumpet soloist Ryan Anthony. The Devil's Tale of 2013, a palindrama sequel to Stravinsky's famous Soldier's Tale, has become a highlight of Stevenson's extensive chamber music output, having already garnered much critical praise for its recent recording. James M. Stevenson came late to his full-time composing career, having first earned a degree from the New England Conservatory in trumpet performance, and then going on to perform 17 seasons in the Naples Philharmonic in Florida. This path has made his voice truly individual and his life's work all the more remarkable. Colleagues and friends encouraged his earliest efforts and enthusiasm followed from all directions. As his catalog grew, so did his reputation. That catalog now boasts concertos and sonatas for nearly every instrument. The vast majority of those compositions came through commissions by and for major symphony principal players in Chicago, Boston, New York, Philadelphia, Minnesota, Washington, D.C., St. Louis, Oregon, Milwaukee, and Dallas, among others. A major break came from the Minnesota Commissioning Club, which led to two works, violin concertos, receiving premieres in 2012 by Jennifer Frauchi with the Minnesota Orchestra under Osmo Vasca, and by Alex Kerr with the Rhode Island Philharmonic under Larry Ratchliff. Other international soloists for whom Stevenson has composed include saxophonist Branford Marcellus and trumpeter Rex Richardson, whose concerto has been performed on five continents. With such prolific output, Stevenson's music is well represented in recordings. Nearly all of his solo brass works, over 50, have been professionally recorded, and in total, his extensive catalog for all instruments can be heard on over 30 CDs. James Stevenson is also a highly sought-after arranger and conductor, rounding out his constantly busy schedule. His arrangements have been performed, recorded, broadcast by virtually every major orchestra in the country, including the Boston Pops, Cincinnati Pops, New York Pops, and more. On the podium, Stevenson has led orchestras in Chattanooga, Bozeman, Charleston, Fort Myers, Modesto, and Wyoming, in addition to numerous concert bands. With the Lake Forest Symphony near his Illinois home, he has not only conducted, but will celebrate his 10th anniversary as composer in residence during the 2019-2020 season. Jim originally hails from the greater Chicago area, as does his wife, Sally. In 2007, 
the couple, along with their four children, returned to the region to pursue the life they now share. The All Music Guide lists two recordings of Stevenson's work for wind band, 20 recordings of his chamber music, one recording of his The Magic of Christmas for voice, children's choir, and orchestra, 11 recordings of his concerti, one recording of his symphony number no. three, Visions, and one recording of his American Song Suite for voice. In my show notes is a link to a YouTube performance of Stevenson's Scram for solo trumpet and concert band. That wraps episode number 127. My show notes, along with links to artist websites, recording label websites, YouTube videos of artist performances, are all posted on my Facebook page, The Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. Next week, I will be interviewing Los Angeles-based jazz drummer Mark Ferber. Other upcoming interviews include music instrumentalist and composer Taishan Sori, blues singer and guitarist Mick Colossa, and New York City-based jazz bassist, composer, producer, and educator Ben Allison. So don't touch that dial and stay tuned. If you have questions, comments, or a suggestion of an artist, composer, or musical style for me to consider, you may email me at h-u-r-s-t-c at u-w-m dot e-d-u. So, until next time, this is Craig W. Hurst and Carmel the Wonder Dog signing off from the musical universe of Professor Hurst. Have a great day. (music) ¶¶